Welcome to Two Inches Off the Ground. When you are enlightened, you live your life two inches off the ground. This is season two, episode 36, Religion and Metaphysical. I am so excited to introduce my guest today, Cliff Ravenscraft. Cliff, take it away. Well, Jay, first of all, let me just say what a delight it is to be a guest on your show. I started listening to this podcast soon after I discovered you on Clubhouse and am a huge fan of so much of the insight that you've brought to the table with your guests and to think that I'm already an honored guest in the lineup with folks such as Fabian and Michael <laughs> Sebastian and Daphne and, and so many other great creators um, and spiritual leaders. So it's an honor to be here. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft. Uh, there are three things that might be helpful to know about me. Number one, I'm a tech geek, early adopter to technology. Number two, faith has always been been an incredibly high priority in my life to know God and not burn in hell for eternity uh, was something that was a major concern of mine from the mm -hmm. time I first learned one could burn in hell for eternity. We'll probably get into that and whether or not that belief system has changed. But then the other thing to know just on a professional side is I lived most of my life as an employee uh, when in 1996, my wife and I are going to be married 26 years, and we're celebrating our anniversary in just about a week and a half from now. Right after we first got married, I was invited to come work in a family business. My mom and dad owned an insurance agency, uh, independent insurance agency. It was started by my grandfather in 1937, and I was next in line to take it over. So they invited me to come work for them. But one of the things that I did not anticipate was that I would stay there. In fact, when they hired me, they hired me to help them set up computer systems. That was um, back in 96, and I helped them do all of that. And I said, listen, I'll come and do this for you as long as you agree to two things. Number one, you'll never force me to get my insurance license. And number two, if I'm ever offered an opportunity to become a full-time pastor and have my own church, no matter how much less money I would make, you have to give me your full blessing. And they did. I was an associate pastor for about a decade, so that's important to know. That was all unpaid because I was extremely well-paid because once our first child was on the way, I realized that hmm, some extra income from getting my insurance licenses might be beneficial. And so I ultimately ended up getting my auto, home, life, business, health insurance license and became wildly profitable in that business. And not to mention the fact that when it came down to it, after a decade in insurance, I realized that, hmm, there's this life within the institutionalized church, and then there's this ministry that I'm doing in my community. So as an insurance agent, I'm having conversations with somebody who I'm, I'm literally one of the first, sometimes the first person, if not the first three to five people that someone would call if my house had just burned to the ground, a tornado just struck, uh, my daughter was just killed in a car accident. The opportunities for me to be a source of encouragement, of support, of compassion, of calmness, of peace that surpasses all understanding, I recognize that, gosh, as, my, as an insurance agent, I'm actually having more opportunity to do what I feel God has called me to do ministry-wise than I do as a pastor of a church, not to not to to reduce the effectiveness of those communities, but it clearly I, I had given way to the fact that hmm, ministry for me is not going to look like what I was told it was going to look like head pastor of a church one day. So I'll quickly wrap up this introduction of myself to say that in December 2005, I started podcasting as a hobby about a television show. And this guy in Northern Kentucky who nobody's ever heard of before, all of a sudden by our third episode, talking about the television show Lost, we had 27,000 subscribers. Wow. And that quickly grew to over 60,000. And my life changed forever because people started to write in and ask all sorts of questions related to some of the insights we were giving into our own personal lives and our personal journeys. People were being encouraged and inspired. They said, can you tell me more about your faith? Can you tell me about how you became debt-free? Can you tell me more about this? 
And before you know it, we just started launching all these other podcasts about other topics because I couldn't just answer all of these questions via email one-on-one. So I started creating content. After about a year and a half, I made the decision. I wonder what life would be like if I did this full-time instead of selling insurance and taking over that business, which my dad has since retired. I'd be making about $2 million a year personal income if I owned that business today, which I don't, thankfully. Instead, I left that and became full-time self-employed in January 2008 and have had an incredible journey ever since in my business. You had told me just before we came on, you gave me really solid advice and you have taught the top 50 podcasters. Could you say that again? So the top 50 podcasts in the business category of iTunes, those are all direct students of mine. I taught them how to podcast. And I've personally, through my podcast Answer Man business, I'm responsible for helping more than 40,000 people launch a podcast. And I myself have 48 podcast shows and over 4,600 podcast episodes. Isn't that amazing? Thank you. Well, go to, you know, go to Cliff. We're, we're going to tell everyone where to find you at the end of this. So if anyone wants to look at your services and your company and everything, we're going to do that. And just a heads up, it's not going to be anything related to podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. It's all sorts of things. I listen to the Cliff Ravenscraft podcast, and I really enjoy it. And that has a lot to do with, I would describe it very self-help. Yeah, it's entertaining, educational, encouraging, and inspirational content that makes a difference. And it's very much self-help, which I have no issues using that phrase today, although I had been very, I don't know about you, Jay, but I had been very conditioned from my Christian upbringing that self-help was evil and should be avoided at all costs. Uh, and, and, but yeah, it's definitely self-help. It is all about personal and professional development. It's basically my purpose and my mission from the beginning and what God has put me on this planet for is to help anybody break free from any thought, belief, behavioral habits, anything that's holding them back from living a life that's completely in alignment with their truest identity. That gave me chills. I love when I meet someone who knows their soul purpose. You're clear, you know it. So, all right, so let's get started. I know you from Clubhouse as a highly popular moderator, especially in rooms about religion and leadership. Today, we are discussing the intersection of religion and metaphysics. How did you begin your religious journey and where did the metaphysical come into play? Well, I was brought up in a home where my mom was Christian but did not attend any kind of religious services. I was baptized in a Wesleyan church when I was an infant because I have the baptismal certificate in my little fireproof safe. Uh, But my earliest recollection of religion probably came from, it started off in the Catholic Church, although I'm not Catholic. And how it happened was I lived in the area of Cincinnati, Ohio, Clifton, Ohio, when I was a child. And I attended a public school for kindergarten and first grade, and Cincinnati was not very well known for its race relationships. Uh, Anybody who lives in this area would know that, and certainly not back in the 70s. And so I was, it's interesting because this comes into play, Cliff the Outcast. Uh, I was probably one of about three white children in an all-black school uh, in public school. And so I remember kindergarten being a ton of fun. And I remember first grade being a ton of fun. The problem is, is that at the end of first grade, I had straight A's and I could not spell my first name, Cliff. <laughs> All right. And so my mom and dad were a little bit concerned about the fact that I'm sitting in the back of the class and just being ignored and not mm-hmm. being and not learning anything. So there was a lot of concern about this. And and so my mom and my dad took me down to this Catholic school, which was just down the street. It was, I think, the Church of the Annunciation in Clifton, Ohio. They said, we'll take him, but he has to repeat the first grade. And so I went from being one of very few white people, white kids in an all-black school to being one of probably three or four non-Catholics in an all-Catholic school. Wow. So my first introduction to religion was very strict nuns with rulers that would smack you on the wrist if you'd got out of line. 
sitting in a church mass every Friday and being instructed in catechesis of the Catholic Church. So that was my first experience within religion. That transferred over to a different Catholic school in Kentucky when we moved to Northern Kentucky. And I was in Catholic school from first grade through seventh grade. So imagine for seven years of my life attending mass every Friday and sitting on in this religious catechesis from the Catholic perspective, this Catholic faith, which by the way, I appreciate the Catholic church so much for all the things and experiences that I've had there. And I've also witnessed some things that aren't so great. But with that being said, my family was not Catholic. When I was a young kid, my mom and dad allowed me to go to any church that my friends in the neighborhood went to. So if they had uh, vacation Bible school or Sunday school, and there was a church van that would come pick kids up in the neighborhoods, as long as my mom knew their mom and they vouched for it, it's like, yep, cool. So every place that had Kool-Aid and cookies, I went to. And so I had a lot of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Kool-Aid and cookies, I'm there. Yummy. And, flan- and flannel graphs. I don't know if you've... If what you is grew that? Up. A flannel graph is like this little board, and they had these little cutouts of, of religious figures that you could put up on the board. And as they're telling you these Old Testament Bible stories, they put these little characters and they stick up. Just do a Google search for flannel graph. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Awesome. So anyway, I, I, I lots of instruction, but now I'm being taught God from a Protestant perspective. Mm. And by the way, in some churches, I won't say which, some of them are teaching that the Catholic Church, for which I'm attending every Friday's Mass in religious class, that the Catholic Church is the Antichrist. All right? So, it you talk about a... Me- and, and I'm a little kid, right? And so, I'm experiencing all of this. And then, I one summer... As a little child, I was I if I had to guess, I was probably about eight years old. My aunt took me with my cousins down to a place down in Montgomery, Alabama for the summer. We attended a Southern Baptist, uh, I'll just say it, Southern Baptist Church. All right. So it was a Southern Baptist Church. In this Southern Baptist Church, I sat there and I listened to this sermon. And all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed with guilt with shame, with fear, and I was convinced that I was going to burn in hell for eternity. And I also had the image of hot, burning, glowing sulfur, you know, just literally (laughs) eating my flesh, but my flesh somehow would never go away. It would just be that pain all over. And that this was something that I deserved, and that this is something that that God's wrath is 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 expectant of, and all this is like is like horrible. And I I was in tears. My aunt's asking me what's wrong. She goes, "Oh, it's a real simple, Cliff. All you next Sunday we'll go back." It's like, "Oh, great, that sounds wonderful." <laughs> no, next Sunday we'll go back, and he's going to teach the same thing. But remember, at the end, he says, "If anybody wants to n- avoid burning in this pit of of hot embers, uh, just come up here, and Jesus will save you." When he calls you to go up, and you see people go up, you just go up. And so I'm like, I was first to the the little altar up front. And I'm like, tell me how to avoid this. I don't, I I don't want to, to experience this eternal wrath of God. I I, I want to be loved by him. Why hasn't anybody told me this before? I said, so how do I do this? And they said, well, just say this. And they told me what to say. And it was, I am a sinner. I accept Jesus into my life. And I just said everything they said. And they said, boom, done, you're saved. And I'm like, okay, I feel good. That's how it all started in my religious thing. Now, the interesting thing to know is that when it comes to, I have this Catholic upbringing from the school side of things, and and I, I'm literally trying to wrap my head around what they're teaching and that what they understand about God. And I'm attending Southern Baptist Church, non-Southern Baptist Church. Um, then I'm attending Wesleyan churches, Nazarene churches. Eventually, at age 15, I go to my first charismatic church. This is one of those churches where all of a sudden they speak in tongues and they are running up and down aisles, screaming like 
all kinds of stuff. They'll fall to the ground and shake spasmodically and all this other stuff. And they call it being slain in the spirit. I went to this church because my cousin said that the girls were prettier there. (laughs) (laughs) That's motivating. Exactly. The only thing is, is that I hadn't heard a good hellfire brimstone talk and preaching service until I got to this church. This one was like, whoa, if you if you listen to any music that's not Christ-centered, you are going to burn in hell. And I'm like, I, dude, I have an entire record collection. All of a sudden, I thought when I was eight years old, I had secured my eternity in heaven. But all of a sudden, now at 15, at this charismatic Pentecostal church, I'm questioning it all over again. I asked them, it's like, how do I do this? How do I? And it's like, it's repeat after me. And I'm like, boom. I, I, so I, and, and maybe there was some nuance to it or something. But the one thing they said now, the important things is that you repent. And so I went home and broke all my records in half and became this super zealous Christian, Christian nut. I'm trying to convince all of my friends to get rid of their music and to tell them, you know, that they're burning, going to burn in hell if they don't convert as well. And I do it because I love them. But my question is, did you get the dates with the pretty girls? Was it worth it? I was so caught up in my relationship with God that the girls no longer had any sway over me. (laughs) And that is absolute truth. I became obsessed about trying to figure this out. Later on, I was no longer a part of that church. I was a part of that church for a year and a half. Fast forward, I was in this Nazarene church. And this one girl and I started dating. We had been dating for a couple of weeks and her parents wanted to meet me. So I went over to her parents' house for dinner and they wanted to meet me and and to kind of make sure that I had their blessing to date their daughter. Of course, we're attending this Bible study group together and very few people had memorized more scriptures than I have. And my ego is like, let me show you all the badges I have of all the things I know about God, that I've learned about God, that I studied about God and blah, blah, blah. And so the parents said, Tammy tells me that you're a Christian. Tell me, how do you know that you're a Christian? And so I read off my list of credentials. You know, Did you I, put I, it on the flannel jack? Did you bring a flannel jack? <laughs> I should have brought a flannel graph. I could have convinced them. Anyway, but I I went on and on about all of the things that I knew about God, the things that I've studied and all this other stuff. And finally, I get back home that night and this girl calls me and she says, hey, I have to break up with you. And I said, why? And she goes, well, my mom and dad have come to the conclusion that you're not saved. They won't let me date somebody that's not saved. It's like, I'm 18 years old, right? And so, wait a second. By the way, you would think that I'm really upset about the fact that I'm losing this girl that I've been dating and, and stuff like that. No, <laughs> I'm upset because once again, I'm in fear of my eternal damnation. How is this happening to me again? I call somebody up and they said, Cliff, how do you do this? And they read me these four spiritual laws and the Romans road. And I recite a couple of things and I'm like, okay, I feel good again. And I became even more obsessed about my relationship with God than I was before. And I, when we talk about like super evangelical, fundamentalist, Christian, obsessed, um, you know, people that are out on the street corner trying to save people, that was this guy here, me. Cliff Ravenscraft. That's who yeah. I was. That's the answer to the question, where did my relig- religious start, <laughs> journey start? It started, man. You, st- <laughs> you, you went on 10. You didn't, you, you didn't start at one. You, you started on 10. <laughs> Turned this up to 13. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so now, today, where are you with regard to your faith? And then how do metaphysics or the metaphysical incorporate in that? I would say that it probably began without me knowing it. And of course, this was the quote unquote dangerous slippery slope that I was warned of. But it probably started when I read the book Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Great book. Yep. And when the very first line, thoughts are things. (laughs) That's it. Thoughts are things. And he began to talk about universal consciousness. And I remember being so very upset about the fact that he calls it universal consciousness. Why can't you call it God? It's God, you know, and being so offended by this. And and I'm like, but I'm going to overlook this guy's ineptitude to understand who God is, because that was my thinking, right? 
I'm going to find the good things in here that will serve me, that will help me because so many that I people that I know, that I love and that I respect and also who have the fruit of the life that for which I want to live recommend this book. So I'm like if they can do it and still live a great life, one that I think is worthy of my own pursuit, then I could read this book as well. And so I just completely took away anything he said that was metaphysical and just focused on the tactics. And so I did that. And I got to tell you, even that worked great because I began to focus laser on things. I began to visualize things. I began to implement the mastermind principle, all these things that he talked about. I just excused all the metaphysics out of it, but I was still exposed to the metaphysics. And the metaphysics is what makes all the things that I was doing work, but I didn't know it at the time. I've read a lot of self-help, a lot of personal development, a lot of things that come from what's called the new thought movement. And of course, I've been conditioned that that's something that's evil and should be avoided. Another book that really started to go deeper for me was Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. And that's where I learned about the self, the importance of your self-image, how you see yourself, how you identify. And also he talked about the power of the subconscious mind, which he calls your auto servo success mechanism. So whatever you program your subconscious mind to do, it will target that and make it a reality. Law of attraction. It's not necessarily spelled out as law of attraction, but it's very, it was my first introduction to law of attraction. Well, okay. Napoleon Hill has been my first... (laughs) to the law of track. But anyway, so I'm I'm getting all of these influences and and I've been taught you be got to be careful about these influences because they'll lead you into the new age movement and as if that's the worst thing you can do. So and you're still religious at this point. So at this point that I'm doing this in 2011, September 2011, we had some experiences within the religious institution that began to clearly indicate that I love Jesus, I love his teachings, and I'm not seeing that I'm capable of living out that life in this institution. I have not attended a weekly congregational gathering called a local church since September of 2011. Now, still very much consider myself to be a Christian, still very much at that time holding to the doctrinal beliefs. You know, as uh, the earth is still only 10,000 years old and and evolution is a, a lie of Satan and, and all, I mean, because I've been conditioned, right? But I'm still very much open to reading all of the stuff that's pr- improving my personal and professional life. And I'm, I'm doing the best that I can to maintain that connection and devotion to God as I understand God. So yes, still very much attached to the doctrine and orthodox Christianity, just not in okay. the institution as much. Okay. So when you're making this transition, you are slowly, I want to say this in the right way, drifting is not the right word, but you're slowly transforming into this combination of being still very Christian and faith-based and loving Jesus, but then also embracing the metaphysical at this point, correct? That is absolutely correct. Today, I will tell you that I know that I am a divine spiritual being having a human experience. I love how you just communicated that, but from the perspective of where I used to be, very much I was drifting in my life. I was sliding down the slippery slope towards heresy and apostasy, which today I will tell you by definition, yes, Cliff Ravenscraft is a heretic and an apostate. (laughs) But hasn't burned in hell yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) We're not there yet. (laughs) <laughs> but uh but anyway so the one so let me just wrap up this end of your first question <laughs> hopefully this is i believe that some people are going to resonate with this story um the, especially those who come from this orthodox protestant charismatic or whatever christian background who is very much interested in this metaphysics stuff that you're talking about so hopefully this is valuable this story so what happened was during the pandemic, it was in 2020, there, the movie theaters, actually, I think it was 2021, they had just opened the movie theaters back up, and I went and saw this biopic called Tesla. So it was about the life of Nikola Tesla, which I'm a huge fan of him anyway. 
I came home, and this is where the Spirit of God, my higher self, began to speak to me. And I'm saying speak as in there are voices in my head telling me to do things. All right. And so one of the things that the voice in my head says, go see if there is a biography or an autobiography of Nikola Tesla. And so I read his my inventions, his biography. And when I read about his experience as a child and his reading in the library and his having experiences where he astro traveled and met people, wow, what is this? Next, I was led to the biography of Leonardo da Vinci. I was reading a biography of Elon Musk. At this point, I'm a self-help personal development junkie, so I'm reading everything. I'm reminded that Steve Jobs is somebody else who is in this category. It's like, wait a second, all these people who are geniuses, who create something out of nothing, who do things that everybody say that can't be done, it's not that they're geniuses. It seems like there's a common thread. They all have a faith in this metaphysical world. I re- watched this video and it says, Steve Jobs' favorite book. And I'm like, I thought I knew everything about Steve Jobs. <laughs> obviously, I didn't see this when I listened, read all of his biographies, although it was in there afterwards. But this little short video says the favorite book of Steve Jobs. And it turns out that when Steve Jobs was 16 or 17 years old, he read Autobiography of a Yogi by Parmanhansa Yogananda, which by the f- way, the fact that I can say that name today. Impressive. It tells you how far I've come. <laughs> um, it says when he was 16 or 17 years old, he read this book. It so inspired him that he eventually went to India in search of his own guru. He found the same guru that the Beatles found, all of this stuff. While he was in India, he was inspired to write, read this book a second time. While still in India, he made a commitment. I will read this book once a year, every year for the rest of my life. Wow. All right. And then um, the next thing in this little short video says that there was one point at Apple Computer that every employee, when they became an employee, was given a copy of Autobiography of a Yogi. All right. And I all of this stuff I have confirmed. I, I went and researched. I'm like, I'm not just going to believe this. I'm going to go research every single one of it. I, I saw accounts of people who worked there who said, yes, I have my copy that was given to me. And then um, there's a video from Salesforce, the guy who created Mark Benioff, I think is his name, who attended the memorial service for Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs could have given anything away as a gift to anybody who came to his memorial service. But he knew he was dying, and he made sure that everybody walked away with a gift from him. And that gift was this ornate, hand-carved box that somebody had made, velvet inlay, and inside of it, a hard-bound copy of Autobiography of Yogi. That is what Steve Jobs left behind for everyone. And after his death, Lorraine Powell was interviewed, and she had mentioned that on his iPad 2, which had not yet been released, but he had his version of it, the iBook app had one book on the shelf, and it was Autobiography of a Yogi. So I'm like, okay, now I'm going to read this book. I have to read it. By the way, have you ever read this book before? I have, yes. I read this book. It changed my life. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No doubt whatsoever, it changed my life. This is the first time I'd ever been exposed to any faith tradition and their beliefs outside of Orthodox Christianity. Wow. Because I've been taught that I should I should avoid at all costs anything that goes against the teachings of the church. But here I'm reading this guy's experience, and I'm like, wow, I see so much of my own experience here. If you would have asked me, Cliff, do you believe in reincarnation before I read that book? Heck no. And then um, if you would have asked me, do I believe in karma? I don't even know what karma really is, but absolutely not, blah, blah, blah. May- okay, maybe by the end of this book, if you ask me, do I believe in reincarnation? I'm like an eight out of 10. Yes, I believe this. <laughs> All right. When I read the chapter, I think it might be chapter 43, The Resurrection of Sri Yukteswar, mind blown. Mm -hmm. All right. Whoa. So finally, I got to this place where I'm like, okay, what do I think about this? Either Yogananda is lying and making all of this stuff up, or this is real, or he believes it, but he's delusional. Mm -hmm. 
what would make me think that against anything that I read in the Bible, which there's really nothing different that I'm reading about his experience of his faith journey than what I read about in the Bible. And why should I actually believe the Bible more than this guy's personalized account of his story? Really, it came down to this gift of discernment, which I genuinely know and believe to this day. I don't have any doubt that I have a gift of discernment to be able to discern spirits, spirits of truth and spirits of deceit. Every single fiber of my essence says this man genuinely believes what he's written in this autobiography, and this is his authentic, genuine account of life. Absolutely. That just rocked my world. I finished that book around November 2021. And Jay, this is no exaggeration. I don't say this to brag because my ego isn't as nearly as important to me today as it once was. But I have been studying one to three hours a day on average, and sometimes as much as three to eight hours a day, every day, seven days a week since then. I have the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of Christ within you, a revelatory commentary on the original teachings of Jesus by Paramahansa Hansa Yogananda, volume one and two. I have actually gone through and I'm reading every discourse and every footnote, every footnote in there, which the footnotes are about a third of the page for each of the things <laughs> where he talks about his resources. I go and order and buy all of the books that are in the resources and read all of those. Wow. You are a student. And I am definitely a student. And, and, and so... That's that's where all of this began. It's like so now I I'm I have this very clear under. By the way, I signed signed up for a self realization fellowship, uh, Kriya Yoga lessons. So I'm a lesson student from Yogananda, and so I'm studying Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, Stoicism, and all of these other things. And I know now why I'm on this earth. It's to help people break free from things that are holding them back from living the fullest expression of who they truly are, a divine spiritual being having a human experience. That is not something I came to from my orthodox upbringing. That's so, so there you go. That's incredible. I can't believe you're such a student. I love hearing that. I know this is an audio podcast, but can you describe what I'm holding up? It's black binders with, I don't know what you call those things, tabs. Yeah, little the little sticky note tabs with little sections. Each of them are a topic. Oh my and goodness. And these are all handwritten journals with my notes on everything that I've They're learned beautiful. and studied. You have nice handwriting. It, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and so so I have I probably have about two thousand pages of notes in the last two years. Wow. So this is how you absorb. This is how you're helping with your soul purpose and your, yeah, I, I just find it interesting because the way you have the notes written, it's very similar. I have a friend who has very similar personality, except it's a woman. And this woman writes everything in colored pen and it's perfect. And it looks like it comes from source. So yours is very neat as well. And it looks very source driven. And so I appreciate that. source driven. Yeah, it's definitely what, source driven. One of the things that's in these journals is also my faith journey journaling. So just some of the experiences off the top of my head. And my very first metaphysical experiences began to occur here, such as automatic writing. I had listened to the audiobooks of all three of the original three Conversations with God book from Neil Donald Walsh. And I loved those books. And it's the first time I'd ever heard of automatic writing. And I didn't realize it, but I was experiencing automatic writing. Mm -hmm. And one of the, so I, I had discovered, you know, through this journey, the works of Carl Jung. I'm studying Carl Jung's biographies and, and his works as well. And so I come across this thing called shadow work. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I want, I want to work on my shadows. And so I began to work on my shadows. And one day I was triggered by an old pattern in my life that would come up over and over again. A lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, a lot of worry. 
it was when my dog had swallowed a dryer sheet and he was not going to the bathroom and and it's like oh my gosh is he going to make it um are they going to have to do surgery and what is this going to cost yeah (laughs) i mean (laughs) i know and it was on top of a ton of other things at the time and i'm like wow it has been a long time since i've been phased out of my peace love and joy but right now i have been triggered and there is a release of a ton of suppressed, previously suppressed and or repressed emotions sure. flowing out. Why is this happening? And so one of the things I did is I, I felt that, that voice in my head says, write it out, journal it. And it's wrote it as a letter. Dear God, this is what's going on as if you don't know. But let me tell you detail <laughs> by detail exactly what's happening here. And more than anything, for me to just get it off of my head, it's like, this is, okay, this is why this, and this is this, 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 this. And I just wrote down all of the things that from my perception are going wrong. Of course, all of the things that are causing me to feel all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, this thought comes to me, write down this phrase, but this is what I know to be true, dot, dot, dot. And then the next 45 minutes, I am literally, I'm just doing this on the page. I am not thinking about the words that I'm writing. The next thing I know, after 45 minutes, there's this entire response from God to me telling me what is true. It completely let me let go of all of that stuff all of those emotions, and it's like, wow. And all of the peace started flooding back in. Ah, it, it, and, and I began to have more and more and more of those. And then all of a sudden, God began to say, hey, if you're interested, I'd like to talk to you when you don't have a pen and a piece of paper in front of you. Are you interested? Yeah, it's just been a journey of the metaphysical side of things. I love automatic writing. It's bomb. It's fire. (laughs) It is so cathartic. It really is. And anyone who hasn't tried it, definitely try it because it is something that is life-changing. And I agree. So I keep seeing the gap between religion and metaphysics close more and more, especially this year. We're in 2022. Of course, since the time of the Essenes in 2nd century AD and even farther back, religion and metaphysics go hand in hand. But why are we rediscovering these two seemingly dissonant facets of society as one? And why is this so important for humanity today? Well, I feel like I can give you my opinion authentically on the second part of that question. Why is this, why is it important for us in okay. humanity today? I will address the first part, but explain to you why I don't think that I can really give you anything that would be of incredible value outside. And, and I'll explain. The reason why it's so important is to bring about the end of all this suffering. The suffering that we are experiencing in, the, in this world is of our own nature. It is of our own creation. This is something that I have learned through this personal and professional development journey. So at the beginning, when I was doing that long introduction, and there's a reason why I include everything that I include, when I first started my own business, my first year in business, I worked 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week, and didn't take a single day off for nine months. And then after nine months, I took one day a week off, Sunday, I then gave myself, it's okay to take a day off, even though I'm making almost no money whatsoever, because I'm going to increase the number of hours that I work the other six days a week. I remember this part of the story on Instagram is so fascinating. Yeah. And so by the end of that year, I made a total of $11,000 net income. Family of five, sole income earner. And I left the most incredibly uh, lucrative uh, and guaranteed income position you could possibly imagine next in line to take over the insurance agency. And not to mention, I got to celebrate my first year of success in business with two weeks in the hospital where I almost died. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I I can't imagine the fatigue your body must have felt. I can't imagine. Oh, it was insane. I literally 
walked almost, I think, 200 steps a day is how many steps I walked. And the reason why I know that is because after I recovered from this uh, stay in the hospital, I began this goal of trying to do this 10,000 steps a day program. And I went and bought a pedometer and I'm like, okay, well, let's just see where I am now. And I worked from home. So my pedometer was, okay, well, I get up in the morning, go to the kitchen, eat breakfast, go down the steps, work for hours, go upstairs, grab something to eat to take it downstairs while I work for hours, go up and have a Mm. quick dinner with the family and go down and work for hours and around one or two o'clock in the morning, go to bed and then wake up and repeat over and over again. That's about 180 to 200 steps a day. That's as much physical activity as this guy got. Oh, dear. Um, And by the end of it, I weighed almost 300 pounds, and I had massive gallstones that my entire body was just filled with gallstones. So that's what happened. And all of that was my own creation. I created every bit of it because of my belief system. I believed you have to work hard to get paid. And if you don't work hard, you don't get paid. So I worked hard to get paid. The other thing is, is that I had this belief that you don't get paid to do your hobby. You don't get paid to do what you love to do. Gosh, if people could do that, everybody would be playing golf or whatever that, whatever their hobby is mm-hmm. and blah, blah, blah. And so the more you hate what you do, the more you should get paid. Here I am doing what I most love in this world. I had people saying, Cliff, can I hire you? Yes. And, and it's like, I think it's going to take about an hour. It takes me five minutes. And they're like, hey, send me the invoice. And I'm like, well, I didn't give you an hour. I'd be stealing from you. And I literally refused to take people's money because (laughs) my belief system wouldn't let me sleep at night because that would be robbing them. All of this was my own making. As a result of this personal, professional, self-help development journey, even before I understood the metaphysics behind it, which all, I mean, I was implementing the metaphysics, the raising of the vibration, raising up to the levels of consciousness. If you know about Dr. David R. Hawkins' map of consciousness, going back, I see it clearly what was happening, but I was raising my level of consciousness as I went along. I was learning how uh, my subconscious mind had adopted conditioned beliefs. I was actually eliminating old beliefs, replacing them with new beliefs, conditioning myself, learning about neuro-linguistic programming. And before you know it, I built that business into a half a million dollar a year business. And I'm like, I created that. Yeah. That's not luck. It was not luck. But I also created a 300 pound version of myself with gallstones overworked, overwhelmed, and almost no money in and having literally having the government help me put food on the table for my family of five. I created that as well. All of that, Jay, is the reason why it's important for us to understand the metaphysics. This is why it's important for us to understand what the map of consciousness is. If you guys have not read this book, it's called The Map of Consciousness Explained by Dr. David R. Hawkins. Go get this book today. It will begin to change your life if you just understand this. Even if you don't get into the spiritual stuff and all this, just read about the map of consciousness. That will help you in and of itself. Now, your first part of the question is, why is it here in the 2020s, you know, that we're experiencing this change. I will tell you, the only thing I can say is I could repeat to you what I've heard lots of other spiritual teachers and new age teachers and, and all these things say. And, and, you know, some of mine is, you know, I, I have not yet tapped into that access of, I have, I've, I've reached cosmic consciousness where I have access to all wisdom of all time mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I can come speak with authority on why today it's happening. But I, I have read some fascinating books by Dronvolo Melchizedek. Have you ever heard of him? I've heard the name. So Dronvolo Melchizedek. He's got these two books. I think it's called The Flower of Life Explained or something like that. If you just look up Dronvolo Melchizedek and you'll see this two volumes he talks about the ancient Atlanteans and the fall of the Christ consciousness grid and how ancient traditions and in different various uh, secret mystical schools have been holding all of the energy grid in place. And when Jesus came, the Essenes helped him to do the one final thing that was necessary. And so that is what caused this to happen. But then it was all set to happen in this season in the age of Aquarius. I mean, I could recite to you all the stuff that I've learned, but 
I'm just telling you things I've heard other people say, but I'm not speaking from any experience of actual knowing that to be true. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the button when you were talking about the healing aspect. I think this is happening because we're healing. And for me, I grew up in a semi-religious family, but I had to go to church. I was raised Roman Catholic, 7.30, every Sunday morning, no excuses. If we were on vacation, we had to go to church. It was just, for me, it was not a good situation because it just didn't resonate with me. So it ended up to where myself and my sibling have pretty much never gone to church since. <laughs> you know, we're, we're good. Like we, we filled our quota. We're, <laughs> we're good with that. And there, of course, church is wonderful and church is great. And if it resonates with you, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And by the way, my husband has a church that he goes to. So I'm, I'm very much for it if you find what you need to find out of it and what you love. You know, that's, that's a wonderful thing. So for me, metaphysics make more sense. To me, I can understand metaphysics much more. And you'll find, Cliff, that your story is not uncommon or my story is not uncommon with, you hear a lot of metaphysical people, they have started in that religious realm. And then they've transformed into more of maybe keeping the faith in that way, but more of just being that metaphysical spiritual being. Yeah, absolutely. I don't hold to any specific doctrine whatsoever today. I question everything anybody says to me outside of a personal experience of knowing within, which is gnosis. And so today, that I still consider myself to be an incredibly devout follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. I literally spend time with Jesus. And, and this is a very metaphysical thing that I'm talking about. But I also spend time with Yogananda. Yogananda comes to me all the time. I also spend time with Mary Magdalene and and some other incredible figures from my upbringing of my understanding and ancestry and and all this other stuff. And it's the most incredible experience. So today I would say, what does it mean to be Christian? That's subjective, I guess, today for some people. But I still consider myself to be a person of incredible faith, a Christ follower. And I don't see any of my study of new age magic, druidism, shamanism. I don't see any of that stuff as being counter to the life of Jesus. In fact, some of my favorite books that read like fiction books, and I'm willing to accept that they might be true, the Dolores Cannon books oh, I on love Dolores Jesus. Cannon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus. They. It was called um, Jesus and the Essenes. Yep, I've read and it. they walked with Jesus. And then there was another book by two authors in the UK that also re- read a, there's a third book on the Essenes. So th- these three books on the Essenes, it's like, wow, this was the Jesus that I've felt connected to, even from the time when I was, I was a kid. Because all of those times when I was a zealot, I, I was a zealot doing those things that I was taught to do, but I genuinely know that Christ has been within me or Christ consciousness has been within me from childhood. It's like, this is the God I've always known. And it's like, "Ah, this is awesome. This is, you're found. Yes, absolutely. So I want to indulge you in a message I'm getting from source. And I want to see what you think about it because we both do things from source. I had wanted to continue with this episode talking about the Gnostic Gospels, but I think, and I will change the title of the episode. I think what I'd like to do is I would like to do an episode for the holidays on the Gnostic Gospels and ask you back. Oh, I would love that. Okay, that'd be good because then I can do a pre-episode before that, giving them a whole background, and then I'll have you come on and we can discuss the Gnostic Gospels. How do you feel about that? I would love that. The Gnostic Gospels are one of my favorite things. It's been a great area of interest in my studies. Oh, I'm excited. So you had to say yes. I pressured you, but I knew you're going to, Source told me you're going (laughs) to say yes and you're going to be into it. So I'm very excited about this this message from Source. And Cliff, do you have anything you would like to promote? Any upcoming workshops? Where can we find you? Please tell us everything. 
So, sure, thank you for that. And what I will say is the one thing that I would love to promote is signing up for my email newsletter. And how you do that is over at mindsetanswerman.com slash free. But I know you're like, wait, I'm, I'm going to sign up for another email from somebody. Wait, let me tell you why you <laughs> might want to do it. So if you go to mindsetanswerman.com slash free, you'll see a 90-second video clip of me on stage tearing up three $100 bills and throwing them in the trash. And I'm telling the story of how I used to have a habit of throwing money away all of the time. Remember, I told you that I created a life of absolute overwhelm, sickness, and financial ruin on the verge of financial ruin. I created all of that because of my belief system. And this talk that I'm giving in this uh, 90-second clip, it's called All Beliefs Have Consequences. I have my own annual conference called Free the Dream. This is the opening keynote. It's a one-hour talk. All Beliefs Have Consequences. If you watch this video, it will teach you where your belief systems come, what a belief is, how you got your beliefs, most importantly, how to discover the ones that are holding you back, where did they come from, how to eliminate them and how to replace them with empowering beliefs, and then even some techniques on how to condition those new beliefs into your system. Radically change your life. This one 60-minute video, it's available for free if you sign up for my mailing list at mindsetanswerman.com slash free. And then, of course, afterwards, you get your first weekly email from me and you can just hit unsubscribe. I'm cool with that. And I'm going to put all this in the show notes. So people can easily click through there. And then where can we find you? Socials, anything? Yeah, I'm Cliff EOTC, Cliff Encouraging Others Through Christ on Instagram, on pretty much almost every platform. Clubhouse, I'm Cliff EOTC. If I'm not Cliff EOTC, then I'm slash Cliff Ravenscraft on LinkedIn and Facebook, for example. And then, of course, my podcasts, cliffravenscraft.com. Click on podcasts. You'll see you can access all of my podcasts there. Perfect. I'm going to put all of this in the show notes. Cliff, it has been an absolute honor. I just have to say congratulations on your 26th winning anniversary next week. 26 years. Yes. Oh next, my God. About a week and a half from now. A week yeah. and a half. So are you doing anything? Oh, yeah. We'll go do something. We'll probably go see a show down in Nashville, which is about four and a half hours from us. Oh, good. Oh, good. I want. I, that's good. You should always yeah, we'll, celebrate these things. Yeah. Yeah. We oh, we love, we celebrate a lot. So, good. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Especially if you have five kids. <laughs> you, you definitely need to celebrate. Or are they but out of the house? Kids, family of five. Th- two of them are. Our oldest is 22. She just graduated college. Our middle son, he's in college, home for the summer. And then our youngest is a senior in high school. Almost there, man. Almost there. (laughs) So I'm I'm super excited about the empty nest myself. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's a good thing. My parents, when I left, I was the youngest. They were like get the hell out and don't come back. And (laughs) they were just doing so many fun things after I left. So anyway, I digress. Cliff, this has been an honor. I am so happy you're on. I am so happy you're going to be coming back because that's going to be an amazing holiday episode. And thank you so much. Thank you. And just, I want to encourage anybody, if you are concerned about your faith and and just how this journey into the metaphysics is pulling you away from what you've always known, just know this, you're never leaving the God that has been calling you from the beginning of time. That, I just want to encourage you with that. Beautiful. Until next time. Live your life two inches off the ground. <laughs> I love the way you said that. <laughs> Thank you, Cliff. Thank you.